This episode is part of QED Changemaker Network's Journey to Board Directorship series. In this series, hosted in September 2022, we focus on how Chief Marketing Officers can begin their career paths towards board directorship by drawing insights and opinions from board directors and CEOs. I'm your host, Ryan Lim, Principal Consultant at QED Consulting. Returning to our podcast today is Carmen Wee, founder of HR advisory services firm, Carmen Wee and Associates. She's a former Global Chief Human Resources Officer with over 25 years of international business experience, driving large-scale business transformation and change management. With a passion for strategic leadership and excellence, she brings with her a globally successful track record in developing and deploying diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies in technology companies to drive successful business outcomes. She's also an experienced board member at HTX and several other domains spanning government, academia, and public institutions in Singapore and the UK. Let's begin our chat with Carmen on the QED Changemakers podcast. Hi, Carmen. Great to have you back on our podcast. Hi, Ryan. Good morning to you. It's really wonderful to have you with us again to share your time as well as your experience this time around. Before we start, really, congratulations on your new book. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, so excited too. Now, since we talked about the book, right, I wanted to ask you, okay, tell us more about your book. It's actually my leadership journey over the course of a few decades. And during the pandemic, I decided to take a step back and look at my career in its entirety. And I decided to write a book. And I think in a pandemic, you know, I thought maybe nobody wanted to read a textbook per se, but maybe a more personal story to kind of demystify, right, a career of an HR leader. Because I think most people have the impression that HR is very mysterious. You don't really know what they do. They show up only to deliver bad news to you, but actually it's not like that. So I was happy to um, write the book very quickly, got it published. And, uh, you know, the the journey has been uh, interesting and wonderful. Yeah, so happy to tell you more about it. I wanted to ask, is there a specific like inspiration that you know that drove you? I mean, everyone thinks about, wow, no, it'll be nice to have a book one day, but my goodness, what's that inspiration that actually stuck with it all? I mean, it must be quite a journey, right, to actually writing it. Well, actually, during the pandemic, I went back to school. I was doing my graduate studies, a master's in leadership. And uh, in order to graduate, I had to embark on a project. So I thought, well, perhaps putting my life story in a book might be a very natural extension. So I had a great time writing the book over 10 weeks. And every week, you know, I was supposed to submit a draft of each chapter to my professor. So I wrote it in 10 weeks, you know, because it was very natural and you would talk to any HR leader and they would have many war stories to tell you. So, you know, it was uh, challenging having to condense the decades of uh, history and uh, career to think about what were the impactful stories that I could include in my book because there were far too many. But uh, I'm glad it's all done and the book is out and the reception has been wonderful from the community. I'm just happy to be here today to tell you more. Oh, great. So then what can those uh, listeners or and as well as the leaders listening in, right, expect when they actually pick up from the book? Well, I think it contains very contemporary topics, but yet they are also timeless because it captures my leadership journey and my take on all the current trends on what are some of the ideal forms of uh, leadership style. But yeah, at the same time, because it was set during a pandemic context, so I talked a lot about crisis uh, leadership and management. And then, you know, there's chapters on the young and restless generation. 
and I think a lot of us have a lot to say about them. And because Singapore is a global note, right, or at least we're trying to promote ourselves as a global note, so I talked about experiences about 10 years ago to be a global HR leader. So I think there are lessons to be learned on cross-cultural leadership. But at the same time, I think, you know, it's really about career longevity and the importance of having coaches and mentors to inspire us. You know, I talked about that too uh, in terms of my career. And I think that in the context of Singapore, it really requires all of us individually to look at our own career journey, career strategies, so that we continue to stay relevant for the long term in this, what I call, digital, you know, and uh, very disruptive age. Without giving away the book, and I will ask you this, are there some key leadership trends that you shared in the book as well? Because you covered a lot of things ranging from the new workforce coming in to your personal experience in that. Yeah, I think at the outset, I, I kind of shared four attributes, right? And this was a study that was done in the US and actually cut across all cultures, all segments of the workforce. And there were four leadership traits that consistently ranked very high. And these were the four. Honesty, competence, forward-looking and inspiring. So any leader that possesses these four traits actually will go a long way in winning the trust and the followership of their teams. I mean, who wants to work for a leader that's dishonest, right? And given this age of scrutiny, right, where um, honesty and uh, having integrity is so important, I just want to say that we cannot overemphasize the need for honest leaders. And I think competent leaders, I mean, who hasn't worked with uh, incompetent bosses before? Certainly, we don't want to be counted as incompetent. And I think bosses, you know, that are competent really earn our respect and uh, enable their teams to follow them willingly. I think we want leaders who are forward-looking, not those that are stuck in maybe a 1980s playbook or 1990s playbook, right? I mean, we are in 21st century. It's digital, it's exciting, although, you know, it has its fair share of challenges. But we want to learn, right, from those who are forward-thinking. And lastly, we want uh, leaders that inspire us. And I think inspiration comes because we trust them, we know that they care for us and they are the leaders who have our backs. We want to be like them because they then are our role models. That is really timeless. But I think towards the later part of my book, I, I did share again about servant leadership because servant leadership has six or seven attributes. We talk a lot about leaders having the empathy, right? So servant leadership emphasizes a lot on the love and the care for your team. And I think, you know, in the context of a pandemic and in the age of humanity that we want to promote in leadership, certainly we want leaders that uh, would really go before us and, you know, lead the way and uh, care for us and uh, not just uh, for themselves. Sometimes I feel like I, instead of a playbook, I need a crystal ball instead. <laughs> I, I think, you know, having a crystal ball will be ideal. However, I think, you know, managing uh, in an age of ambiguity and is really through leadership. Effective leadership helps us to lead in an age of ambiguity. And that is so vital, you know, as we go through the next few years where we have famines everywhere, we have Mother Earth acting up quite a bit and our workforce being very tired and having a different set of priorities as well. And it's not just work, but looking at their life and caring for their families. I, I think these are the themes that resonate in Singapore, in Asia and in many parts of the world right now. And therefore, the critical lever really, I, I truly believe, is leadership and effective leadership really makes the difference. Right, and the actual outcome of it all is that trusted leadership, isn't it? Yes, yes. I think we get so fixated on hybrid work, is it 3 plus 2 or 2 plus 3 or 4 plus 1? But seriously, the conversation is how do I lead and inspire my people, right, with progressive practices so that I can really unleash the potential and, uh, you know, the natural outcome really is perhaps productivity and all those good business metrics that leaders uh, care about. But seriously, you know, the front end of it is really the people element. You know, you ask about leadership, so the whole cluster of 
being purposeful, inclusive, empathetic. I mean, they all fall within that whole quadrant of being humane as a leader, but yet holding people accountable. I think, you know, the two are not inseparable. Right. They are not mutually exclusive, right? That's correct. Yeah. If I may ask you, right, are these leadership traits that you've mentioned in your book also those that can actually be very useful in the boardroom as well? I mean, I'm assuming that this one actually starts off as the executive management leadership quality traits that you would have expected all leaders should have to be good and effective leaders. But does that actually also translate when you move into the boardroom as well? Yes, I think so. Because in the past, boards tend to behave like uh, watchdogs and maybe to some extent, some of them still do. But really more and more, when you look at you know board culture and board dynamics, asking the right questions in a very strategic way and you know asking thought-provoking questions, I think that really is the value add that we bring because you know we don't manage operationally per se. That is really the role of the executive team. But I think we have the benefit of looking at 50,000 feet, right? And sometimes, you know, 5,000 feet and say, what exactly is the roadmap that we need to have in order to navigate over the next few years? And therefore, our questions are not operational or immediate. Perhaps there are some contexts for that. But really, our question is, what do we want to be? How do we get there? And uh, what are the critical issues that we need to think about? And because I'm part of a people community, I mean, it is important for us to ask these questions about um, people, culture and our talent. I think through a pandemic, we know that talent is right now the hottest topic. And I'm glad that through the pandemic, companies have kind of understood and perhaps embraced the importance of the role of human resources function and what it can do and what it needs to do for the company in order to be more successful. Thank you. And, and maybe if I can then switch gears on this, right? Change a little bit about being a bit more personal. Because since we spoke about the boardroom, I wanted to ask about your journey, right? To the boardroom itself. And when did you even decide to get a seat on the board? I think the conversation started back in uh, 2014, 2015, when I was having one of those conversations with my ex-boss. And during that time, we were discussing our career longevity or not. And we know that corporate career will come to a stop one day. And he was a member of SID and he was trying to get onto the boards. And so because he's somebody that I really respect and has been a mentor to me over the years and helped me to become who I am today, he inspired me to take the SID class on the listed directors essential. I paid out of my own pocket because I believe that that's something I could do, leveraging on my corporate experience. So in 2017, I took the class and I started to you know learn what being a board director is and the requirements you know in the Singapore regime. Put up my hand to you know share with my network that I was open to actually sit on boards. And of course, during that time, I was still very busy uh, in my corporate career. And so first opportunity came in, I would say, the board advisory, you know, work in Republic Poly, that was not a paid uh, advisory board, but that was, um, you know, arising from, you know, my previous work with, you know, the National uh, Skills Council, so part of the Skills Future. So, so somebody saw me and met me and therefore, you know, helped me to get onto that board. But more importantly, my first paid board came in 2019. Somebody referred and, you know, they were looking to use my expertise for that board and uh, there was a synergy and there I was. I, that's how I landed on my first board role in December of 2019. It looks like first, uh, oh by the way, uh, SID stands for Singapore Institute of Directors for those listening in. And there are courses like what Carmen just mentioned. And if you think you are worth it, go invest in yourself. Don't wait for somebody to invest in you. Put up your hand for it. I, I think there is something that you need to be able to volunteer for, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yes, I think SID is a great organisation. And I think that uh, where it's going right now, you know, it will really prepare the members for the future. 
Right, but was it actually, like you said, most of the time when you mentioned this, it sounded like everything was already paved nicely for you on the path to board directorship. Was it actually easy or difficult? Can I get your first-hand experience on, on landing that first seat? Oh, well, actually it was very challenging because when I told my ex-boss about it, the company I was working in, he was not supportive. He made all sorts of uh, put-down statements and tried to discourage me to, you know, assume the board directorship. I think he had certain views about, I would say, women sitting on boards and also HR leaders sitting on boards. So I, you know, didn't feel very encouraged and therefore, in fact, it was very difficult. Yet, you know, I, I kind of decided to push ahead and uh, <laughs> not uh, cave in, right, to some of the challenges that I was facing along the way. Shortly after, I quit the company. <laughs> so, you know, I had that space to pursue the directorship. So I, I finally got appointed in December of 2019. It's been a great journey coming to three years and I think the good news is I'll probably be extended for another three more years so I'm really happy about that. Congrats on that. <laughs> on that same note as well, right? Okay, so that means there will be definitely challenges. It's not always you know, a bit of roses all the way through. And I wanted to ask you then, what kind of skills uh, would be most appealing or, or leaders should have so that they're better positioned for a board role? Boards typically look for some expertise that you have. So traditionally, you have the bankers, the lawyers, the accountants. And also depending on the composition of the board and the kind of industry that they're in, typically they find that they want to find you know industry experience. Some of them may be looking for functional experience. Some may be looking for what sustainability. Nowadays, it's very hot. They're also looking for HR leaders. So I went in because you know I had HR expertise and they were setting up the board. So it's a pioneering board to bring the expertise to set up the agency. At the same time, you know, I would say there's a key element, right? That's the breadth of experience that you have because you bring together other skills, things like leadership skills, general management skills, or you may bring understanding of certain markets or maybe even the global experience. So I find that, I think for myself, because my exposure is not just regional, but it's global. And I bring also that functional expertise plus business experience because I used to run a business line as well. So I think, you know, that T-shape would be relevant when one considers whether one is suited, whether there's a board fit or not. Of course, it is important for you to also interview the company, right? And to find out why they would want to have you appointed to the board and what kind of value that you bring and it's not just about you know making your head swell because you sit on some boards and what some would even consider as trophy boards but more importantly for me the mindset really is how I can serve effectively and it's really about the community and the organization and the people that are impacted by my contribution I think that really is the uh, mindset that I try to hold for any board appointment Right, so that means the expertise, the experience and also exposure to new opportunities for the organisation that you're sitting on the board for, correct? Yes, definitely. And you know, with that first board, it opened up, I think, other doors for me. And at the same time, this year I landed on my second board opportunity. It's an international one and that's interesting. And, and, and I was appointed because I, I think, you know, there, there could be some value that I could bring because of my leadership and uh, HR background. But more importantly, also because I bring that global perspective. So that organisation had a natural fit, right, to my experience. So just as, you know, when one uh, considers a career opportunity, whether there's, you know, that organisation person fit that I talked about in my book, but really it's also about at the board level, there's also that fit. It's very, very important. It's a two-way street around for one to consider whether there's a fit or not before one chooses to be appointed to the board. Right. It sounds like it's a full-time role, isn't it? 
uh, no, it's part time. But yet, like I said, you know, every time when you show up, right, you really have to make sure that you make the best contribution because the board, you know, meets maybe four times in a year, and in between, maybe there could be some smaller committee meetings. But yet, you want to, you know, really maximize the time that you have with, you know, the board every time you show up, so that you can really provide. The best advice, value add to the team that has to manage the enterprise on a day-to-day basis. And maybe if I can then ask a little bit, because most people don't get access to go listen into a board meeting, for example. So on behalf of the listeners, right, maybe just peep a little bit of saying what's going on behind these secret doors, if I will, right? To get everyone who's listening in a sense of what to expect. Could you maybe start off with telling us your current board role at HTX and maybe a bit more about it and what you do there? Yes, so HTX obviously is the homeland agency to keep Singapore safe as the safest on earth. That's our big uh, vision and mission. And therefore, it's a science and tech agency that enables agencies like the Singapore Police, Immigration, SEDF, the likes of which are under homeland security to curate, deploy and innovate science and technology so that we keep Singapore safe. So my role is uh, not just as a board member, I'm also a people committee member where I delve into all the talent, leadership and culture questions to enable HDX to be successful as an agency to deliver on overall mission. And because it was born during COVID, we had work cut out for us to set up the agency as an organization because it's an amalgamation of all the legacy, you know, science and tech expertise that was residing in all these different uh, agencies prior to its setup. And in 2020, when we all came together, we have to really set up that organization as it were from scratch. And so everything from organization structure, leadership, formation, selection, policies and practices around its grand mission, that's on the HR side. But the business of it really, you know, the technology, focus, priorities, investment, spend. Because we got to spend, right, to make sure that uh, we are having the latest and the greatest to make sure that we are fighting crime, we are fighting cyber-terrorism and the, the likes of all those challenges. And therefore, I think over the last three years, you know, the board has uh, looked at all these challenges and uh, come up with uh, strategies in order to help us to mitigate, right, some of these uh, issues, right, that we, we want to keep in mind. And therefore, for every board meeting, we have an agenda where we work through all these issues. Because typically, I think in a government agency, there will be terms of reference, right, around what this board is supposed to do. As delegation of authority around what we are empowered to do as board member, what the executive team is empowered to do, to spend or not spend, uh, where the boundaries of the decision making are. And so, you know, we've sorted all that out. And so with all that sorted out, then we can go and uh, do our main work and that is to make decisions, right? After understanding all the different issues and steering this organization so that as it goes through all the different challenges and all the decisions that it requires the board to make, then I think we are partnering with the leadership team to provide that oversight, but we collaborate together to make those decisions together. So if you were to ask me to demystify the board in HDX, I would say it's a really good board. I uh, enjoy going to those meetings. Everybody, you know, brings their expertise to help. HDX to be successful. We are very focused and clear about our you know, mission and vision and uh, we have a very, very important role to play. So for example, for those of you who have travelled out of Singapore recently, uh, in the past, right, when you go through immigration, you're supposed to put your thumbprint right, on this machine right, so that the machine can recognise your biometric fingerprint. But now, you only have to take down your mask right, and look into this Dyson-looking 
a machine, right? That will capture your facial features and the gate will open, right? Correct? So better. I, I, I hope it's not like the way the Dyson sucks in. <laughs> no, no, no. By the way, I'm not promoting Dyson, okay? But, but that just gives you an example. And uh, that will give you an indication, right, of the kinds of technology that we are helping the home team deploy and curate to be, you know, more efficient, to be faster, to be uh, safer, for Singapore to be innovative. You know, you see maybe some next-gen police cars on the road as well, I think, you know, and of course you see many cameras, right, <laughs> in Singapore. These are the things that we do. Uh, it's exciting and obviously it has a front-end consumer bit to it because the citizens, right, are the consumers of our technology. Because you mentioned, right, you've collectively said that yes, you're deciding for the organisation to steer the organisation towards uh, the mission that you have and your term of reference. So if I were to just ask you, is there maybe a couple of points that you can raise for us that actually are the key differences between being an executive leader versus the board director or a board member? So if I were to compare the two in the past, as an executive leader, you would take direction from the CEO and his goals for you, you know, as a functional leader and we all work together as an executive team in order to uh, fulfill the CEO's agenda as it were by bringing expertise. But as a board member, you know, you look at more strategic issues, you are not involved in the day-to-day -day running of the organisation per se. You will interact with the executive team, uh, mostly during board meetings and sometimes, you know, outside of board meetings. I do send some emails, right, to the uh, functional leader to ask some questions and all that and to get some updates. But we are, I would say, more detached operationally. We are more involved strategically. And I think we are looking more at mid-term to long-term challenges rather than short-term and day-to-day, -day, get this done, get that done <laughs> this week, next week, you know, or next month. And I think that, you know, there is a difference, right, in, in how consumed you are because of, I think, the frequency of the meetings and, you know, the role and expertise that you bring. So the focus is different, the lens is different, and the energy that you actually expand is different compared to an executive leader who is consumed day to day to meet the CEO's agenda and then making sure that, you know, when you fulfill the CEO's agenda, really those are some of the challenges that the board expects the CEO to deal with. With the lens and focus that you mentioned, that's going to be different, right? So, of course, you are looking at, like you said, rather than daily, weekly or monthly, then you are looking at five years, ten years out. Then do you think that issues like the board composition on diversity, for example, actually does matter and what role does it play in it? Oh, definitely. I think, you know, studies have shown that um, boards with not just gender diversity, but diversity of uh, backgrounds and perspective and experience does move the needle on the financial and business metrics. And I think right now with the, you know, the diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, right, what I call DEIB, and if one can even add flexibility, it really makes a difference because the number of stakeholders have just really exploded, whether known or unknown. They care about how your enterprise, right, manages or runs or how you know, executives are paid. And therefore, I would say that it is extremely important for a diverse board to be able to anticipate, mitigate and deal and manage with all this scrutiny that comes up. If the board is homogeneous or lacking in diversity, then I think they could be blindsided by you know, some of these issues or they may not have experience. And sometimes we may think that, oh, it's an agency that based in Singapore, we don't really have to worry about what happens right in the United States or in Europe. But I think you know, gone are the days where we are not interconnected anymore. 
and therefore having that diversity helps to I would say fortify right us against business risks and also around some of the leadership challenges that may come up because we don't just depend on one person to get the job done but it really is about a team and a collective effort and I look at the board as a team of uh, individuals who come together to help to steer the organization through. Especially right now, I mean, it's certainly choppy waters. So the future risk requires us to be very adaptable and very flexible. And earlier, you just mentioned as well, right? Board dynamics. Could you help us understand a little bit more about it and maybe how to prepare for it? Yeah, I think, you know, there are all kinds of boards out there. I mean, you hear stories of good boards and I've been on, you know, two, three good boards and I know what that looks like. And I've seen and heard bad boards and what that looks like. And I think that a stable board actually helped the company to be managed well because a stable board and a good board knows what good looks like around leadership succession. They know what it takes to get the job done. They know how to anticipate some of the critical strategic issues and therefore they can prepare the organization. I think, you know, when you look at some of these uh, public listed companies, examples of good leadership transitions and the lack of, I would say, corporate scandals, I mean, those are things that, hey, you know, no news is good news. But yet you also look at those where some companies are always making the news in the papers or on the web for the wrong reasons. And therefore, I would say that the biggest thing in the coming years really is a very healthy, and progressive board culture, right? And, uh, you know, studies have shown that that really is the needle because, like I said uh, at the outset, right, in the past, boards were just the watchdog. But, uh, you know, going forward, right, more and more, boards are required to be a lot more, um, I would say, progressive in the way they look at, I would say, all the talent and human capital challenges. It's not just about the numbers and keeping your shareholders happy, um, but really, you have a very diverse set of uh, stakeholders and they can be the young people, they can be customers or potential customers customers and definitely it extends to your suppliers because right now we have a five generation workforce for the first time and therefore anyone from the five generation workforce right from gen z to you know um, beyond the boomers as well so in other words you can actually walk into an office these days and actually meet your grandfather kind of thing or grandma I think it's possible in a lot of companies, depending on what industry um, they are in, right? I think, you know, one doesn't have to look very far, right, when you look at some companies. So the challenges of managing a multi-generational workforce, and they have a lot to say, right, about how the company is managed. I think in the past, if you look at 20 years ago, no one would comment about how much, you know, the CEO is paid. That was never an issue. In fact, it is expected, right, the CEOs are paid well, but now, Guess what? The children of CEOs or their grandchildren, they are the ones who are influencing, right? How CEOs are running their companies. For example, I mean, Microsoft, right? Satya Nadella, he had a special needs son. And, you know, I think he was influenced very much by, you know, the son. And, you know, he decided to also create a very humane and inclusive culture because I think all those experiences have uh, taught him. So I think, you know, it's very, very critical for diverse boards, not just for the sake of diversity, but really the expertise, the mindset, the way they, you know, the lenses through which they look at some of the business and more stakeholder management challenges that come up. Sure, definitely. And I think there's more that you covered in greater detail in your book. And maybe if I can ask you, right, what advice would you have for senior leaders who are listening in, who are probably considering their first board role? 
Well, some of them may be thinking, well, I don't have a network, I don't really know what it means. Well, that was how I started about five years ago. But, you know, I think it's a learning journey. If you're willing to learn, there are natural transferable skills. It's just that you're asking, you know, questions in a different way. But you must really ask yourself, why do you want to do this? And it's not a, you know, an ego trip. It's not to make you feel more important. But really, it's around what can you contribute to the community and are you passionate about it? So asking why at the starting point is very important. And then how you go about, I mean, there are different avenues, right? I mean, in Singapore, you have SID, you can, you know, attend training and classes and all that. And then there's a big community if you join SID as, a, you know, and there are many other such organizations around. So, you know, you can start somewhere just as I have started somewhere and it'll be a very exciting journey. But yet at the same time, you must also ask yourself, I mean, is this really what you want to do? Because it may not be for everyone. Right, and it requires time and effort and commitment. And you know, for um, those of you who are in consuming full-time roles, you got to put time to those meetings, and you can't be skipping, you know, board meetings and all that because board attendance is a major, you know, KPI, right, for a lot of boards. And then when you decide that you want to join and you're clear about why, then how you go about doing it and joining the, I would say, the ecosystem, right? It has an ecosystem by itself. Then I think, you know, it can run parallel to your corporate work. But at the same time, it is important to do your day job really well so that you don't, you know, really um, compromise, right, on uh, your excellence. Thank you so much, Carmen, for being on our podcast again and sharing your wisdom to our aspiring board members tuning in. Now, for those of you interested in the journey to a boardroom, I'd recommend you getting a copy of Carmen's book, From the Kampong to the Boardroom, My Leadership Journey. Just head to carmen-we.myshopify.com. That's carmen-we.myshopify.com. The link can also be found in the podcast episode's description. Most importantly, thank you listeners for tuning in to our podcast. Do remember to subscribe to our channel and be updated of our latest episodes on trending business and leadership topics. I'm your host, Ryan Lim, and I look forward to having you in our next episode.